please pray with me now. Father God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your understanding, for your acceptance. We pray for your Holy Spirit to lead us now, lead our hearts, lead our minds, bring clarity, bring truth, bring liberating truth, Lord, deep within our hearts, deep within our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> we're going to be talking on justification today. And we're going to start off with a question. Who believes that you have to earn your place before God? Anybody here? You believe you have to earn your place before God? Okay, I see somebody who's raising their hand. Okay, I don't think he's serious. 500 years ago, pretty much anyone who confessed to be a Christian would believe that they had to earn their place before God. But then in 1517, a Catholic monk named Martin Luther said that's not true. He read the scriptures and he saw a Bible um, that taught a doctrine that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. And he voiced this very loudly. And when he did that, it started the Reformation. And people died for the belief that we have, that the standard uh, Protestant church has now. Many people shed their blood for holding on to a biblical pro a promise that said, we are saved not by works, but by grace through faith in what Jesus Christ did for us. The one element that we have in our salvation is this, faith, right? But it also says in the Bible that faith itself is a gift from God. So faith is not something that I can generate on my own, it's something that is itself from the grace of God. And then it's something that I say yes to. I activate my will. And I believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. Salvation has three main parts to it. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. We'll be talking on justification today. The word justification has multiple meanings in the Bible. We're going to look at its common meaning, which is to declare to be righteous. The opposite of justification is the word condemnation, which means to declare to be guilty. Anybody ever felt as a Christian Let's say you struggle with sin, you've fallen short. Have you ever felt guilt oppressing you, weighing on you? Anybody? I see some hands up there, okay? So we, we as Christians, oftentimes in our battle, in our war, we get attacked with feelings of condemnation, guilt. You're not good enough. You're not accepted. You made a mistake, so, so you can't approach the presence of God. You fell short. And that becomes our sense of emotional reality. 
And if we allow that to overtake our hearts and our minds, we are not walking in victory. We're believing a lie and we're experiencing a lie because it's contrary to the truth of our standing before God, right? Bible says Jesus is not ashamed to call them brethren. In other words, Jesus is never ashamed of us, ever. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That means we are declared not guilty for eternity. Okay, There's no guilt if you are in Christ, even if you have fallen short in your behavior. And when you believe that, you can walk in way greater victory in your emotional life and in your behavior. When we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and respond to it in faith, that Jesus saves us from sin and from the just wrath of God for sinning, we are justified. This is a legal term. Justification is God's response to our faith in Christ. In other words, justification is something God does for us that he gives to us and not that we do for ourselves. It is a gift. Romans 3.26 says, God justifies him who has faith in Jesus. Romans 3.28 says that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Galatians 2.16 says that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So if we go back to our works, our failures, and think that that is the defining factor of our standing before God, we're in trouble, right? We can't go there. But what exactly is justification? Justification is a legal act of God where he thinks of our sins as forgiven and Jesus' righteousness as belonging to us. And besides that, God declares us to be righteous. Why did God choose to do this? Anybody have any thoughts? Why did, God did not have to send his son. God did not have to do anything for us, but he went to the extreme to save us. Why did he do this? His love? He wanted a relationship. Any other thoughts? Okay. So demonstrate his mercy. Okay. John 3.16 says, doesn't just say for God loved the world. It says for God so loved the world. He is so passionate for his children, for his children that chose sin and darkness above him, for his children that rebelled and brought death into the world. That did not stop God's love. 
That did not stop God's passion and his affection. That grieved him. That grieved him because a loving father wants relationship with their child. I talked to a man yesterday whose son has gone off into non-Christian things that are dark. And he shared with me how deeply he loves his son, how his heart is so deeply impacted by what, this, what his son is doing and how he so deeply wants real fellowship. He wants his son to come back. His son is making bad choices, but his love for his son has not changed. In fact, the depths of that love manifest more in the midst of his son's rebellion and deception. That is a good reflection of the heart of God for those who have gone astray. His nature doesn't change when ours does. We're going to do a little drawing up here, if that's okay. I'm an artist. I'm not going to get too detailed, but... Uh, okay, so here we have a cross, okay? It's not a shamrock, it's a cross. And we have Christ on the cross, and he's happy, but he's also sad. And here's God, infinity, you can put a heart up there, and then we have... Let's see, I think there's some colors down there. Okay. I li I'd love to race, yeah, I'd love to race the rest of this beautiful artwork here. Here, let's go like so. Thank you. Okay, so here we have, this is fallen man. I'll take a black one so it'll be easier to see. We have fallen man. Fallen man is not happy because he's, he's separated from God. And here we have a holy, infinite, eternal God who is love up here. And then we have God in the flesh, Jesus, on the cross. On the cross some really important things happen that we, we need to understand, okay? We talk about the wrath of God. The wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness, against all, all wickedness. The reality of sin is that it has to be paid for. A holy God, a just God, can't just forgive sin without there being some punishment of sin. That would be loving, but it would not be holy, okay? So, here we have a loving, holy God who loves fallen man and makes a way for fallen man to not only be forgiven, but to be declared righteous. So here's what happens. Jesus lives a sinless, pure life. He perfectly fulfills the law, right? Then he goes to the cross. He becomes a sacrifice for our sins. This is nothing new in the Hebrew mindset because their whole system was based on sacrifice for sins, for atonement, okay? Now, what Jesus and the Father are going to do, they're going to agree that the righteousness of Jesus, his purity, his sinless life, his perfect life, 
is going to be given over to sinful man who says yes to Jesus by faith. Okay? So the wrath of God, which is for this guy because of his sins, Jesus says, I'll take that wrath. I will take the punishment for, for sinful man. And so the wrath of God gets redirected and Jesus absorbs and endures the wrath of God on the cross. The Bible says that he became sin for us. He literally became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us. But then the other part is this, that we might become the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. So the first part is Jesus takes on our sin legally. God says yes to that. And then what happens? Jesus' perfect righteousness, you know, our sin is gone. We're no longer black like that, legally before God. And then we'll just say the green is, is stands to righteousness or perfection legally, not behaviorally, but legally, and that's a big deal to get that distinction. So the holiness and righteousness of Jesus Christ is given to us and the biblical term for that is imputed, right? Jesus earned this righteousness and this purity and he freely gives it to us. So God once had wrath towards us, but now his wrath has turned to favor. Okay? The Bible says if God is for us, who can be against us? In Romans 8, so, so God's disposition has totally changed since the wrath of God has been fully paid for. Our sins have been fully paid for on the cross. The wrath of God, the punishment of our sins have been fully paid for on the cross. We don't ever face the wrath of God if we're in Jesus Christ. Even when I struggle with sin, God is for me. Okay? God is for me. I need to believe that. Ima imagine yourself on, on trial. We'll say Andrew Johansson. Andrew Johansson, he is charged with, he's charged with murder. And he has been found guilty. It was Chine Chinese feather torture, tickle torture. That's how he killed his victim with, with a feather. And he's in the courtroom right now and I'm the judge, and I say the evidence says this man's guilty of murder. Okay, but then Robin Savage stands up, and Robin has lived a good, righteous life. And he says, Judge, I love Andrew, even though he murdered somebody in a very funny way. And he says, I am going to take his life sentence for murder. Is that okay? And the judge says, yeah, that's okay. So now Andrew is off the hook, but now Robin, he says, my dad's rich. And I've got a lot of favor and a lot of blessing in this world. And so I don't just want to pay the price for his sins. I actually want to give him all the goodness that I have merited and that I've inherited from my father through my life. So now... Andrew, who should be in prison for the rest of his life, is free. But not only that, he gets the millions that Robin Savage has. That's totally grace. 
And that's very much like what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We are not just, we, um, we're not just saved, we're heirs of God. We're co-heirs with Christ. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus based upon what he did for us, not based upon what we did because we never could do it. And I'll hit this point again. Because we are declared not guilty of our sin, then we have no penalty to pay for our sin, including past, present, and future sins. God will never make you pay for sin, sins that have been paid for by Christ's merits. It would not be legal or just for Jesus to pay for all my sin, and then I have to pay for it too. It happens once one time. However, I may suffer for the consequences of my sin. Hebrews 12, 7 through 10 says, God disciplines his children. This is a sign you are in the family, right? Good dads, out of love, discipline their kids. But we must not confuse this for punishment of sin. This is to mature us and to sanctify us. And going back to the, what Romans 8, 33 and 34 say, I am not subject to any charge or accusation. Satan is the accuser. He accuses us before God, right? And I have to understand that I am legally righteous now, even when I screw up. I am clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I have to laugh at those accusations. I got to say, when, when he wants me to look at myself and my failures, I got to say, no, look at Jesus. He took my sin. He paid for my sins. And you know what, devil? I'm righteous. I am righteous. I am holy. I am under grace and not under law. So you can't use that against me anymore. That is spiritual warfare. That is using the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, fighting the lie with truth, and walking in victory. By faith, you are legally placed in Jesus, in his righteousness. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Romans 5.1 says, We have assurance that we are forgiven by God and at peace with him. We're always at peace with God if we're in Christ. Always. His arms are always open for us. And when we fall short and we sin, he's not going to get out a paddle. He's going to want to comfort us. And he's going to want to see us set free from whatever lie is pushing us into that false identity and that rebellion. We can get too focused on ourselves Oh, I preached a great sermon today. Oh, I, I just served the poor. Oh, look at how good I am. Look at how righteous I am. Look at how wonderful I am. Is that a ditch? I think that's a ditch. Yeah, because I'm looking at myself. I'm looking at my works. And I'm trying to, to, to base my righteousness before myself and God on my works. And that tends to bring forth self-righteousness. Look at how great I am. Or I'm a vile sinner. I can never do anything right. God, just give up on me. 
I'm worthless. All I do is fail. That's another ditch, right? And that's condemnation and self-hatred and self-rejection. Both of those are two sides of the same coin, and that coin is called self, right? We are to look unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And yes, we should have self-reflection. Yes, we should be aware of what's going on in our lives. But we've got to look at Jesus and know that he always remains our righteousness. He always remains our acceptance before Father God. We receive Jesus' righteousness. We talked about that there. We legally have the merits of Jesus. Everything that he accomplished on the cross, everything that he did um, living a perfect life, we receive that blessing. We receive that moral standing legally before God. Right? So we're, again, we're legally without sin, but yet we struggle with sin behaviorally. The term is called imputed righteousness. God regards Jesus' perfect morality as belonging to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 says, God made Christ to be our wisdom, our righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. This legal righteousness is not based on our holiness. Our moral behavior, as it pertains to walking out our salvation, will be discussed in the topic of sanctification, which Paul is going to be preaching next week. The term favor means friendly or will, well-disposed regard, goodwill. So, so God has nothing but goodwill towards his children, right? And now, with that being said, I want us to break up in some groups of maybe three or four. And I have some specific questions that I'd like us to talk about with one another. And I'll throw out question number one, and then it will, I'll, you know, we'll have a few minutes to dialogue through this. And then I'll throw out question number two. Question number one is this. Is it hard to believe that God is always for you. And if you can believe this, how will that impact your life? So find, find some people right now. Let's break them in groups right now and discuss that. We'll give about five minutes to discuss those questions with one another, and then I'd like some, some people in the group to share their response to everybody on this. Okay, I'm going to ask for your attention. Again, if you would pause with your groups for a second right now. If you would, just, just raise your hand if on a regular basis, if you really feel that God is for you. Just raise your hand. Is that you? Is that you? So it almost seems like it's the minority that truly feels that. In our minds, we can believe it, but it's not until it truly pierces our hearts does it really bring transformation. I would just like you guys to repeat after me because there's power in declaration of truth, right? Okay, just repeat after me. I am forgiven, I am, forgiven. I am accepted. 
And I don't have to earn my standing before God because Jesus earned my standing for me. It is a gift of grace. I have peace with God. He's always going to love me. He's never going to reject me. Even when I sin. In Jesus' name. Amen. And then, for those of you who have to leave, we're hitting the the 12 o'clock point now. Feel free to go. I just want to pronounce a, a blessing on you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord release the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. I'm going to throw out another question for those of you who want to continue this dialogue. And I encourage you to pray with each other over this issue because we really need this truth to come deep into our hearts. Are you confident that God has declared you not guilty forever in his sight? Not guilty forever in his sight. Okay, that's question number two. So you can continue to dialogue with your groups for those of you who can stay.